If you have a Bible today, let's go ahead and open up to Jeremiah chapter 2. As we continue our journey through this book. And um, today's chapter, uh, there's so much here. Uh, it was It's very difficult to outline. But I will say this, there are kind of four concepts that stood out to me. Number one is what I would call the wedding. And by that I mean... When God established a relationship with Israel, it was like uh, this love relationship in which they were betrothed. And so for those of you guys uh, who have that type of, uh, you know, love of your life, you know, maybe when you first met, how special it was, huh? how awesome it was. And in one sense, that's kind of how it is for us. Uh, I, I don't know if you guys had that. When I got saved, it was amazing. Uh, I would ex- ex- uh, kind of uh, describe it as a honeymoon experience. I mean, it was high. It was, um, it was just miraculous, and it was special. And so the Lord is going to kind of take Israel back to that. It's like, man, do you guys remember the beginning days? Do you remember how it started? Um, but what ends up happening is like the Bible says in Revelation chapter 2, verse 4, uh, what can happen a lot of times, like the church of Ephesus, is they left their first love. They left the Lord. And so it goes from the wedding, it goes to the wondering. God is wondering, like, why? Why did you leave me? What did I do wrong? That's what God asks there. And then the wandering. And we're going to look at a lot of different things that, that Israel or, or Jerusalem or Judah did that were just crazy, you know, just going all over the place looking for satisfaction, finding none anywhere else. Um, but then also rooted and woven into the chapter is just the warning. And the warning is for us, you know, um, if you're not a Christian, of course, it's it's really, really heavy. Uh, you don't want to die without Christ. It, it's a warning, man, to make sure that you have received Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, that you're not just playing church, that it's not just like a superficial religion. Uh, the warning is definitely there for the non-Christian. But I also think for the Christian, because if we're here as Christians and we're living in disobedience to God in any way, then uh, the Holy Spirit will begin to convict us and he'll put his finger on things and he'll tell us, you know, what needs to change, certain things that we need to start doing, certain things that we need to stop doing. And if we don't listen to the Holy Spirit, you know, he'll verbally discipline us. And then if that doesn't work, uh, then things start happening in your life. Circumstantial discipline, sometimes physical discipline. I've even seen some times in which it's fatal discipline. So um, make sure, we have to make sure that we listen to the voice of the Holy Spirit if he's telling us to change, if he's telling us to repent, then don't play games with God. Let's make sure that we listen, that we would humble ourselves and be obedient. And so those are things uh, you'll see woven throughout. But let's go ahead and begin in verse 1, Jeremiah chapter 2. It says, Moreover, the word of the Lord came to me, saying, Go and cry in the hearing of Jerusalem, saying, Thus says the Lord, I remember you the kindness of your youth, the love of your betrothal, when you went after me in the wilderness in a land not sown. And so last week we went over uh, Jeremiah's calling. And so we don't know for sure, but he may have only been about 17 years old. Think about that. So a 17-year-old, maybe, because his ministry lasted for 40 years, and so the word of the Lord comes to him. Now he's living in Anathoth. So he travels three miles and God sent him to Jerusalem. And more than likely, uh, teachers tell us that he's just sharing these words. He's preaching this message right there outside of the temple. 
That's what happens when you love the Lord. And that's what happens when you know how much the Lord loves you. And that's what happens when you realize how much the Lord loves everybody. You know, we see these homeless people sometimes or whatever. Some Christians, they run the other way. Or we see someone, maybe they don't you know, look the look that you think is safe. And yet God is telling you, go talk to them. You know, when you know how much God loves you and when you love him, then you're going to love others and you'll be, in one sense, the first fruits. And God says, I, I remember how it started in the beginning and how I protected you. And, and when you read through the book of Exodus and the book of Numbers, you see how God gave them victory over Egypt. Think about that victory over the Amalekites, victory over King Arad or King Sihon or King Og. You see it over and over again, how God gave them victory. And this is God's promise to you. This is God's promise to me. Let's live life like this, not a religion. Let's live life in a love relationship with one another. And I will give you victory. I'm not saying life is going to be perfect or easy, but as you go through the wars and the battles and the challenges of life, you will win for I will fight for you. Now, I don't know about you, but when I hear that, I think, wow, that's a, pretty good, that's a pretty good deal right there, man. But what happens after the wedding is the wandering and then the wandering. Because you read in verse 4, it says, Hear the word of the Lord, O house of Jacob, and all the families of the house of Israel. Thus says the Lord, What injustice have your fathers found in me, that they have gone far from me? have followed idols and have become idolaters? You know, God's just scratching his head. He's wondering, what did I do wrong? What did I do wrong that you're not following me anymore, that now you're all out there, you know, you're, you're following idols? What, what injustice? The King James even uses the word iniquity. What iniquity, God says, did I commit that you've gone away from me? And not just uh, straight away, but straight far away to worship idols to the point that they were actually labeled idolaters. And you know, the Bible says in 1 Corinthians 6, 9, Revelation 21, 8, that idolaters will not inherit the kingdom of God. And so for us, I know, you know, most of you guys here, you love the Lord, you know, you love God. And you know, Jesus Christ died for you on a cross. And so you're not idolaters by position, but we can actually at times become idolaters uh, by practice. You know, every once in a while you put a person before God and God says, hey, I don't want you to, you know, to put that person before me or you put a possession before God or you put an ambition before God. And, and at the end of the day, we all have to search our hearts to make sure that just nothing, man, nothing comes before God because that's what they did. God was their God until eventually they started serving idols. And, and you wonder, well, well, how can it happen? And all I know is that it can happen to any of us. It really can. The church of Ephesus was such a strong church at one time. It was from them. The Bible says in Acts 19 that everybody, everyone in Asia, they heard the word of the Lord. But when you read in Revelation 2.4, the Lord speaking to the church, he had this against them because even though they were busy doing a lot of things, they had left their first love. And sometimes we think that religious activity or even involvement in ministry is sufficient. And, and God says, no, I mean, I, I know you guys, I mean, hopefully you're searching your hearts and you're saying, this is why I do this, Lord, because I love you. But sometimes it can just become 
uh, a machine. That's the problem with Calvary Chapel. You gotta, we got to be really careful with it because what began as a movement, what began as a movement of the Holy Spirit can very easily become a machine. We know how to do it. We play music in the beginning. We open up the Bible and talk and whatever. We got these different events and ministries. But if you're not careful, if it doesn't come from the heart, if it's not rooted in a relationship with God, the living God, then that movement can then become a machine. And then eventually it becomes a monument. And God says, see you later. I got to go work somewhere else. This is why we have to be careful on a national level we're going to talk about that in, in, in Judah and Israel. We have to be careful on a personal level, you know, because uh, as a pastor, as a brother, as a friend, man, I, I'm not exaggerating when I say I just want the best for you guys. And I don't know what it is. I, I just know, though, the potential that, you know, we have in this room tonight, those who are watching online, if everyone caught that, that vision and that passion and that fire, you know, imagine what God could do if he could turn the world upside down with the 12 and then you know, the guys there in, in, the, in the upper room. Imagine the 120. Imagine what he could do with us. So for us, um, just make sure. And, I, and I, I don't know how to articulate it, but you know, man, you know when it's just not really about the way you love God anymore. That, that can happen. And God just brings us back and he says, no, don't. You got to be careful. You, you know, you can drift away and far away. You become drifters and idolaters. And, and, and when you reach that place, uh, you can find yourself in trouble. You know, and so um, there, I don't know if you've ever been lost. One of the things I was thinking of, do you guys ever, um, when you're calling on the phone with someone, you're talking to uh, someone on the phone, does your call ever get dropped? I'm just curious. If not, can you tell me what carrier you have? Because it happens to me pretty regularly. But anyways, um, this is kind of like, this is what happened. They had this connection with God, and the call got dropped, right? And then, this is what happened. They didn't call God back, so to speak. They said, oh, oh well, we're lost. And so they didn't go seeking after him. That's what it says right here in verse 6. After they had gone far away, neither did they say, where is the Lord who, who brought us out of the land of Egypt, who led us through the wilderness, through a land of deserts and pits, through a land of drought and shadow of death, through a land that no one crossed and where no one dwelt. I mean, after all that God had done, and you guys know the way he gave them manna from heaven and the way he gave them the water from the rock and the way that their shoes didn't you know, wear out. I mean, just the way that he took care of them, the way that he's taking care of you, the way he's taking care of me, through the difficulties of life. Do you realize the way that the devil is trying to oppose us and if he had his way, he would have a field day with us? But we don't realize that God has t he's taken us through all this. This is where they were. And he says in verse 7, I brought you in into a bountiful country to eat its fruit and its goodness. But when you entered, you defiled my land and my heritage became an abomination. The priest did not say, where is the Lord? And those who handle the law did not know me. The rulers also transgressed against me. The prophets prophesied by Baal and walked after things that do not profit. You know, like I said, they got lost. They drifted away, but they didn't look to the Lord that had saved them, to the Lord who had sustained them. 
You know, they went into this beautiful country. And when you go to Israel, it really is beautiful and fruitful and wonderful. It's an amazing land. And, and you know, but when they went in, unfortunately, what happened is uh, they ended up worshiping the God of the Canaanites, the gods of the world that God had given to them. And, and what made it super difficult was their leaders, the priests, the prophets, those who, it says right here, who handled the law. Think about that. These are like the Bible teachers. They were not saved. They were not saved. And I'm telling you guys this, man, a lot of these guys, a lot of the people that are preaching, that are heads of churches or priests or whatever, and this is just crazy to think, but they are not born again. They don't know the Lord. And so you wonder, well, how in the world can someone rise to such a position and they're not saved? I mean, it can happen so many ways. You get a guy, he's a, maybe he's a, he's a, he's a, whatever type A personality, he's kind of a leader, and then, you know, people just automatically follow him. He's a natural leader, not a supernatural leader. Maybe he's a pretty good communicator or whatever. Um, Maybe he went to school, he got the degree, the seminary, and this is kind of what the next step is. Maybe, you know, he rose to the ranks and all along, because a lot of times there's a Judas there, don't really know the Lord, and they end up there. All I know is that, man, it happens all the time. And so, you know, imagine when your leader is not born again, when your leader doesn't pray, when your leader doesn't care, when your leader doesn't love, when your leader doesn't really follow the Lord in in, in any way, to any extent. This is where they were, and they were in big trouble. You know, so even these guys were prophesying by Baal, it says there, and so they walked after things that, that were not right. No one was seeking the Lord. You know, Jesus said in Matthew 15, if you read the whole section right there, it was the religious leaders of his day, and they were Pharisees, and they were all caught up in their religion. And, you know, they were not, they were thinking, oh, you can't eat food with unwashed hands. You know, and even nowadays, people say that you should go wash your hands. And I'm like, hey, it's okay. No big deal. I'm going to pray, you know. <laughs> I mean, you know, I don't want to sound weird or anything, but I think we can be germaphobics as well, you know. And sometimes I remember working with these guys doing construction, and we're out there in the middle of nowhere, and we're just like, okay, let's eat, you know. And so, but them, for them, it was a religious thing. They had to wash their hands a certain way, and the water had to flow down like this. And they saw Jesus, guys, and they weren't washing their hands, and they were like so upset with that because they thought that was a spiritual thing. And the Lord just started teaching them, listen, it's not what goes into the mouth that defiles the man. It's what comes out of the mouth. You guys got to look deeper. It's about the heart. But they were so caught up in all their rules and regulations that they did not even begin to search their own hearts because they were able to dot every I and cross every T, but they didn't realize that God looks at the heart. And so therefore, they didn't even know they were sinners in need of a savior. And therefore, they were not saved. And the Lord says, leave them alone. They're just the blind leading the blind. That's who they are. And you get some people and they don't know their Bibles and they are all caught up in religion. And one day when they stand before Jesus Christ, he's going to say, depart from me because I never knew you. I never knew you. Think about that. Yeah, but Lord, I prophesied in your name. I cast out demons in your name. 
I did ministry in your name. Yeah, yeah, anybody can do that. I can speak through a donkey. But, you, but I never knew you because you don't have love. You don't have the fruit of the Spirit. You don't have a personal relationship with God. That's where these leaders were. I mean, people nowadays it's in so many churches, I mean, they're serving and they don't even know the Lord. You know, this, this, this is a crazy situation to think that they would actually start prophesying in the name of Baal. And, and we're going to see as we go through the book of Jeremiah that, uh, unfortunately, Baal is mentioned 13 times in this book. And that was their kind of like their main, their main uh, the god uh, there in Canaan. He was the god that controlled the rain, according to their you know myths, their mistaken theology. And he was the god of fertility, and he was the god of sterility. And so um, it's interesting how in their thoughts they thought, well, Baal is this god, and he fights with another god named Mot, and then another god named Yam. And if you go online and you look at Google Images, you can see all these weird uh, gods. They're really, really weird. They're statues and, and things that they made. And, and you guys know how we have uh, different seasons. Like sometimes it gets hot, and then it's nice, and then whatever. You got spring out of different seasons. The way that they thought it, the way they thought it worked is that when Baal wins, it rains. And so the rainy seasons is when Baal is winning. And the, the, hot, the summer seasons is when I guess he's tired now, so he's not winning, you know. And so they, they thought of that. They, the whole concept of produce, whether it be producing uh, the crops or producing children. And so they worshipped Baal, and uh, their thoughts were uh, not only you know, to cut themselves and to cry out and to, and to do these crazy things, but they also thought that if they engaged in sexual activity with the, the prostitution that was there offered through this uh, false religion, then think about it. You go to the, whatever, the, the temple, and you hire a prostitute. You engage in sexual encounter. And they thought that what that did was then stimulated Baal to then have a sexual encounter with uh, another god, like uh, maybe Ashtoreth or something, and then that would then produce results for the rain, the fertility, the sterility, whatever it was that you were struggling with. And so, you know, when you look at that, again, um, it sounds crazy, but one thing I will say is it appeals to the flesh. Oh, hey, this is kind of a cool religion. I can go and do the sexual thing, and, uh, and I'm good. And so that was the appeal, and unfortunately, they, they started, even the prophets started prophesying in the name of Baal. You know, they would burn incense to, to Baal, which is symbolic of praying. They would swear by Baal, which is symbolic of him having authority. Other things that were really horrible. But one thing, if you would turn to Jeremiah 19, and I, I was reading all, through all the different mentions of Baal, but this one really broke my heart. In Jeremiah chapter 19, in verse 5, it says, They have also built the high places of Baal to burn their sons with fire for burnt offerings to Baal. You see, they were, they were, they were killing their children. They were killing their children. 
You know, and we look at today at, at abortion, and if you're here and you had an abortion, please um, do not take this as condemnation towards you. God loves you and he forgives you in Christ. But for us as a nation, for us looking forward, we realize this is nothing new under the sun. And nowadays, if you're in early pregnancy, you could just take a pill and your, your, the lining of your uterus starts getting messed with, your baby dies. If it's later on in term, it's okay. They got different ways of pulling out the, the parts of the baby and to the point where 930,000 babies are aborted every year in the United States of America. So it's not new. And what it is, is it's a natural degeneration of a society that has no more power to fight these demons because it's just the demons. And this is why when we're looking at Israel and now they've come from this beautiful love relationship and now they're worshiping Baal, I mean, it's just heartbreaking. And so what does the Lord do? You know what he does? He files a, court, a, a, a case in court against them. You guys ever had someone do that to you? You know what I'm talking about? Look at verse 9 in Jeremiah chapter 2. Therefore, God says, I will yet bring charges against you, says the Lord, and against your children's children. God says, I will bring charges. And so things were escalating. It's probably a threat. It's probably also something that God did. But but all I all I'm saying to you guys and to myself, okay, I don't want you to think that I'm not taking this to heart for me. If there's any area of my life that I haven't surrendered to God, then I feel like when I read stuff like this, I, I feel like He's warning me. Don't know. I know He loves me. I know He loves me. That'll never change. But if if I don't want to change those areas that need to be changed. You might justify it, and you're like, "Well, I've been a Christian for a long time, and I, you know, I get away with it. You know, I, I get very sarcastic or whatever. I get angry or whatever. I get high, whatever. I get drunk. I don't know what it is. You know, the the f bombs that are coming out, or the, the 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 you know the the words that you use that maybe not are straight out, but you know they're kind of like symbolic of it. Whatever it is, the Holy Spirit is the one that's the convictor, not not me. But maybe there's things that you're watching and you know you shouldn't be watching that. You know you shouldn't be listening to that. I don't know. I don't want to be the Holy Spirit. But I do know that, man, sometimes people justify crazy things. Crazy things. And the Holy Spirit is saying, no, don't. And what I'm saying is right here is like a warning. The Lord is just warning us. Because this is what's happening to our nation. Uh, this is just exactly what's happening to our nation. And, and, and look what it says in verse 10. It says, for, for pass beyond the coast of Cyprus and sea. And that would be the west. And then send to Kedar and, and consider diligently. And see, and that would be the east. In other words, you look all around. See if there has been any such a thing. Has a nation changed its gods, which are not gods? But my people have changed their glory for what does not profit? And, it, and I think what he's kind of saying is here, man, this is very unique. This never happens. Like, you know, you go to India today and they're still, you know, worshiping. They're still Hindu. And you go to, a, you know, a different places over there in the Middle East and they're still Muslim. And, 
You know, you go to Cambodia, 95% are, are Buddhists. I mean, they're, they're just, they're kind of maintaining their identity for the most part is what I'm trying to say. But what Jeremiah says here is that that doesn't happen. You look to the east, you look to the west, it seems like it's the same. But when you look to Israel now, they, they changed. They used to worship the true, living, loving God. And now they're worshiping the Baals. They're worshiping the Ashtoreths. They're worshiping, worshiping Molech. And God says, this is crazy what's, what's happening. And again, United States of America is not Israel, but it seems like uh, there's definitely some parallels here. You know, I was thinking about how crazy it is in our, in our nation now that you can't, there used to be a time where primarily you would go to school and it would be in church. And so you're going to have Bibles there. You're going to be praying there. Uh, you're going to have the Ten Commandments posted there. How did we, a nation that was founded on biblical principles, a nation that was clearly founded on the scriptures, Judeo-Christian values, how did we come to a place where they said, you can't pray in school anymore. You can't have a Bible there on your desk if you're a teacher anymore. You can't have the Ten Commandments displayed up, you know, at school or a government building. I mean, it's just crazy the way that our nation has changed. And we're going to see so many parallels as we go through the book of Jeremiah. I honestly feel like, wow, it seems like this guy is writing to us. I mean, what religious book did our founders look to and quote from? It was the Bible. It wasn't the Vedas or the Quran or the Book of Mormon or anything else. It was the Bible. And I believe, and you can talk and you can maybe disagree with me, But I honestly believe that the United States of America was the greatest nation ever. I mean, Israel is is unique. No no one compares to them. But the way that God blessed our nation, and now you look at the way that we are completely, some would say, well, we were in a post-Christian era, but you just wait a little bit longer and we will be in an anti-Christian era. You want to know why? Because the Christians are the only ones that are pushing back against the agenda nowadays. And that's why they're focusing their attack on us. And so it becomes anti-Christian. And so this is where we're at. And God says, I'm filing a case <laughs> against, against Israel. Just as Israel has changed gods, so are we as a nation. And so look again at the warning in verse 12. It says, be astonished, O heavens, at this, and be horribly afraid. Be very desolate, says the Lord. Verse 12 in the Hebrew, it says, trip out. Trip out on that. (laughs) Kind of like, wow, astonished at this, uh, afraid. You know, this is a healthy fear of God that they did not have because eventually it ends in, in desolation because the result of judgment upon such rebellious people will leave little behind. And, and, and look what he says in verse 13, for my people. And he's explaining, my people, look what they've done. They've committed two evils. They have forsaken me, the fountain of living waters, and hewn themselves cisterns, broken cisterns, that can hold no water. And it, and it makes me check my heart, you guys, because, you know, I, I'm so blessed to be able to serve in the ministry and, and teach the Bible and be a pastor. 
but I'm well aware of the fact that you could do all that and still, you know, you've kind of drifted from God. That can happen. I remember one guy, it was kind of crazy, and I don't remember the exact words he used, but he did a Bible study. We asked him, hey, can you study and dig, you know, do some research and, and, you know, kind of like training him on how to do a Bible study. And I'll never forget, he came back to me and he said, you know, I never spent so much time in the Bible and so little time with God before. And it was kind of weird. I'm like, well, what do you mean? And he was just talking about how it's really easy to read it. and You know the book, but you kind of lose sight of the author of the book. And he said, my people, they've committed two evils. Number one, they've forsaken me. And we're going to see that over and over and over. And the fountain of living water. And we're talking about an artesian well. We're talking about in those days, I mean, just so valuable. Think about that. Nowadays, we don't understand how awesome it must have been to have an artesian well. You know, it's there, it's clean. He says, but what they've done is they've left the artesian well and they've hewn for themselves these cisterns. Then, So that would be cisterns where you put maybe the rainwater in or other water in that you put in there. But these cisterns were broken cisterns, so they couldn't hold the water. So even the water, when it's there for a little bit, it starts getting stagnant after a while. But eventually, they were broken. They couldn't even hold the water. And the water was what satisfied. The water was life-giving. You guys know how beautiful water is? And they had, unfortunately, come to this place. You know, David Guzik said this was the first of the evils of God's people to forsake God. This is evil not only for its disloyalty and ingratitude, but also because it's foolish. God is the fountain of living waters, the never-ending supply of the good, pure essentials of spiritual life. And so I want to encourage you guys, you know, I, I thank God that you're here tonight. I mean, not many people are coming out to church in the middle of the week, you know. And so I, I just praise God for that. But let's all come uh, tonight and just say, Lord, uh, if there's any part of this whole Christian walk thing that I have like separated from you, God, bring me back to my first love. Bring me back to this personal, intimate love relationship that you want. Think about it with someone like me. Lord, please. Because I don't want to forsake you and start looking to all these superficial things that really will never um, give me that water. And when you think of the water, there's so many things we could talk about. You know, John chapter 4, remember, there's the woman at the well and she was looking for love and she had all these different you know, husbands, and now she's living with a guy, and the Lord was, he went to her. I mean, in those days, the Jews, the rabbis especially, they wouldn't go to a woman. They wouldn't talk alone with a woman. They would never uh, strike up this type of conversation or ask water from a woman, but Jesus was there because he loved her. He loved her, just like the Lord loves you. And yeah, praise God for the relationships and people he brings into our life, but you know, they'll never they'll never satisfy us. The only one that will is the Lord. 
And so that living water, that John chapter 7 also, 37 through 39, Jesus said, if there's anyone here who's thirsty, let him come to me, and out of his heart will flow torrents of living water. Do you think life would be different if you had a perpetual supply of the Holy Spirit? How many of you think life would be different? Lord, we need you. I need you every moment, right? And that's what we're referring to. The Lord, he, he just continues to talk to these guys and reach out to them. Notice what we read in verse 14. It says, is, is Israel a servant? Is he a homeborn slave? Why is he plundered? Now, this more than likely is in reference to the northern kingdom of Israel. Remember, there's a northern kingdom and then the southern kingdom of Judah. So this is in reference to the northern kingdom. And he's kind of like asking, why are they slaves now? Why are they slaves now? Were they, were they kind of like raised in it? Why is he plundered? And basically, he's saying in 722 BC, we know that the Assyrians came and they conquered the northern kingdom and they put hooks in their mouths, they gouged out the eyes, they cut off the limbs or whatever it was, and they took them and carried them away as slaves. And so, you know, for us... You got to look out. Uh, some of your friends, maybe they're dead. You know, some of them are locked up. And some of them are, they're not at church anymore. They're nowhere near. And God says, look at what happens. We have to learn from that. Judah, look at what happened to Israel. It says in verse 15, the young lions roared at him and growled, and they made his land waste. His cities are, are burned without inhabitant. That's what happened to the the northern kingdom. And then he mentions uh, things that happened to the southern kingdom. Also, the people of Noph and, and Taphanes have, have broken the crown of your head. And that's in reference to what uh, the Egyptians had done to the southern kingdom. Uh, as a matter of fact, the Egyptians were the one that killed uh, King Josiah. And remember, King Josiah was the one that was king when Jeremiah started. And so he's just basically saying um, see what's happened, you guys, to them. Uh, and it says in verse 17, have you not brought this on yourself and that you have forsaken the Lord your God when he led you in the way? And now why take the road to Egypt to drink the waters of Sihor? Or why take the road to Assyria to drink the waters of the, the river? And, 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 and what he's saying right here, we're going to see it again at the end of the chapter, is that our, 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 um, our trust, has to be only in the Lord. You know, they were looking to Assyria, Israel was, to help them, uh, you know, to protect them. And the southern kingdom was looking to Egypt to help them and protect them. And for us, my, my prayer is that we would just look to the Lord. You know, the one to provide for us, the one to lead us, the one to guide us, the one to satisfy us, the one for everything. You know, if you're sick... Um, pray and then go to the doctor. You know, that kind of a thing. Like I, I thank God for doctors and surgeons and all that, that stuff, but I, my trust is really in the Lord because a lot of times what can happen is we can look to the world and God is just saying, I'm, I'm testing you. You see, what they had gone through, um, unfortunately, was they had backslidden. In verse 19, it says, your own wickedness will correct you and your backslidings will rebuke you. Know therefore and see that it is an evil and bitter thing that you have forsaken the Lord your God and the fear of me 
is not in you, says the God of hosts. Now, I think it's interesting right there in verse 19 where he says, Know, therefore, and see that that's an evil thing. That's a bitter thing. We have to know this. We have to really, truly, honestly see this with the eyes of our heart. When you look at someone like David or Samson, Nadab and Abihu, different people in the Bible who suffered the consequences of their disobedience, you know, let there be a healthy fear of God. You know, my prayer is that you would never backslide. And if you have backslidden in the past, don't beat yourself up. Don't condemn yourself and think you're a second-class citizen. Absolutely not. But from this point forward, um, I always tell people the way that you keep from backsliding is by growing forward, you know. You stay in the Word, you stay in fellowship, you stay in prayer and communion. Acts chapter 2, verse 42, it talks about that. But a lot of times people, their hearts drift away. You know, Pastor Chuck, I was listening to him and he's talking about this. And he's talking about how, you know, a lot of times, and again, everyone's different, so I don't want to tell you guys what your schedule should be. But I was the same way. When I got saved, I was there every Sunday. I was there every Sunday night. We were there for midweek service. We were there for, um, you know, whatever the ministries that we were involved in, whether it be young adults or whether it be uh, witnessing on the streets. I mean, it was almost as if we were there whenever those doors were open. That's just the way it was. And then eventually I became a pastor, so now I have to be here all the time. <laughs> you know, but I'm just saying, why is it that some people, they start missing? Some people, well, they used to come, but now they don't on, you know, whatever the, again, the Lord is maybe the one to show you. You got to be really careful in that. Uh, you used to serve, but now you don't serve anymore. You know, why is that? You know, it's just so beautiful to see people that they, they're, they're just not going to backslide. Why? Because they're just growing and seeking and they're in love and they're just not going to stop. And, and look what God says in verse 24. Of old, I have broken your yoke and burst your bonds. And you said, I will not transgress when on every high hill and under every green tree you lay down playing the harlot. Now, this is interesting because verse 20 could be taken two ways. Number one, it could be God saying, like in the New King James, I have broken your yoke and, and burst your bonds. Like, how many of you here, when you got saved, I'm just curious, when you got saved, you got set free from drugs and alcohol, or drugs and alcohol. I'm just curious. So some of you guys, yeah, the Lord broke the, the chains, right? And so that's kind of what he's saying. I've broken your yoke and, and I burst your bonds and and so then the response was, like it says there in verse 20, I, I will not transgress. Uh, God, you've done this for me, and I will never forget. I will never forget. I will never stop living my life for you because you have set me free. Kind of like that. And so there's that one translation. But most other translations, they say it differently. Uh, basically, uh, what the other translations say is that the people broke off the yoke. If you have an NIV or NLT or some of the others, and it's kind of difficult to figure out which one, but if that's the case where we broke off the yoke, you know what that's talking about? That's talking about how Jesus said in Matthew 28, 11, 28 through 30, when Jesus said, Come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest, where he said, Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I'm gentle and lowly in heart, 
and you'll find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. You see, when you become a Christian, there's a yoke. And you guys know what yoke is. I'm not talking about egg yoke, okay? When well, you guys know what a yoke is, right? It's when you're hooked up, you know, to, in this case you have two oxen that are plowing or something. So now we're hooked up to Jesus. And now, uh, not, you know, religious burdens, but this beautiful relationship, yes, of work and service and life, but you go through it together. You know, you go through it together. I am walking with Jesus. That's my life as a Christian. I'm walking with Jesus. But here it says they broke off the yoke and they started doing their own thing. No, I'm going to do my own thing. And the Lord says, yeah, there you are under every green tree playing the harlot. What that's in reference to is they were worshiping other gods. You know, if you have the opportunity to go with us to Israel, and if you can, like like Pastor Henry was saying, it, it really is worth the investment you're going to see the different high places that they had uh, where they would go and they would worship other gods. It's crazy. There's one, it's over there in Tel Dan. It's in the southern part uh, of Israel. And you guys remember how Jeroboam made the, the, the altars to the two calves? And there was one in the southernmost part. And it's crazy because you get up there and you can see like all around for, for miles. That's what they were doing. They were there worshiping uh, these idols. And and yet, you know, coming back to our purpose, look at verse 21. God says, yet I had planted you a noble vine, a seed of highest quality. How then have you turned before me into the degenerate plant of an alien vine? And, And you guys know, as you've gone through the Bible, that many times the Bible compares Israel to the vine. You know, in Isaiah chapter in Ezekiel chapter 15. And what's a vine intended for? A vine is intended to bear fruit, right? And so we even see that in John chapter 15. The church is the vine. And when you read those passages, God, man, the best seed, the best care, God did. God's the, the vine dresser. I mean, just everything that he does in order for us to bear fruit, right? And so for us, when we think of fruit, Especially when you think of John 15, you're thinking ministry fruit also, not just moral fruit of love, joy, and peace, but how God will use our life. And so, again, like I said in the beginning, Israel was supposed to, they were the first fruits, they were supposed to get saved in order to be used by God to help others, you know, and planting seeds, watering seeds, and even sometimes them being the ones to be able to see the harvest. And so... I guess in one sense, my encouragement to you, not uh, again, not a, hopefully I'm not beating you guys up, but man, um, are you like serving God, you know, with that heart, you know, to Lord, I want to see fruit, Lord. And, you know, you're, you're asking him for that, you know, you're abiding in the vine, John 15. And therefore what ends up happening is God uses your life to encourage others in the Lord. Here we see God just doesn't, he's asking these questions. How did it happen that you turned into a a wild vine and basically the wild vines, they got sour fruit. They got bitter fruit. They got these little teeny tiny grapes that nobody wants to eat. And God says, I don't understand how that happened to you when I gave you everything so that you can be fruitful. It says in verse 22, for for though you wash yourself with with lye, that would be a, a soap and use much soap, 
yet your iniquity is, is marked before me. It's like stained. They're not clean, says God. How can you say, though, verse 23, I'm not polluted. I have not gone after the bales. See your way in the valley. Know what you have done. You are a swift dromedary. That's a wild camel breaking loose in her ways. You're a wild donkey used to the wilderness that sniffs at the wind in her desire in her time of mating. Who can turn her away? All those who seek her will not weary themselves. In her month, they will find her. And this is in reference to not just the idolatry, but to the adultery and how you know God tried warning them, but unfortunately, these uh, donkeys, uh, these camels, these animals, sniffing the wind and mating time, no one could restrain their lust. This says those who desire her don't need to search because she actually goes running to them. That's how, how bad it was. And so God tried warning them, but they had chased after these false gods, so much so that their shoes were worn out. And it says in verse 25, withhold your foot, from being unshod and your throat from thirst. But you said, there's no hope. No, for I have loved aliens and after them I will go. These are people determined to follow those alien gods, those alien deities. Remember, we talked about how the people of the land uh, introduced them to their gods. And so we see that here in the United States of America. Again, I know everyone's free to make their choice. But, you know, um, um, Islam is, is growing, New Age is growing, Buddhism is growing, Hinduism is growing, atheism is growing. That's what's going on in, in our nation. Verse 26, as the thief is ashamed when he is found out, so is the house of Israel ashamed. They and their kings and their princes and their priests and their prophets saying to a tree, think about that, you're my father. And to a stone, you gave birth to me, for they have turned their back to me and not their face. But in the time of their trouble, they will say, arise and save us. Now, I thought it was interesting here um, because last week we went over the fact that, you know, before Jeremiah was even formed in the womb, how God knew him, the living, loving, true God knew him, made him, you know? And there you contrast that to these people coming to a place where they actually believe that, you know, the idols that are made of wood or the gods that, you know, gave them life or deliverance or stones or statues. I still, I'm tripping out on how people bow down to these things. But God says, you guys know deep, deep, deep down inside that that's not real, Right? Because eventually, when trouble times really happen, they end up going to God. That's what he says right there at the end. In time of the trouble, they will say, arise and save us. And, and so what we have right here, God questions them in verse 28, but, but where are your gods that you've made for yourselves? Let them arise if they can save you in the time of your trouble. For according to the number of your cities are your gods. Think about that, O Judah. Why will you plead with me? You all have transgressed against me, says the Lord. You know, it's a completely different life when you have like the living, loving God. Now, I'll give you guys just uh, maybe one example because I know we don't have a lot of time. But like, you know, do, do we really trust in the Lord or do you trust 
in your bank account. You know, some people, that, that's, that's their go-to, man. I'm good because I got a ton of money in my bank account. I got a ton of money in my savings account or, or whatever. Uh, some people will be tested and they won't give to God what belongs to God. And that shows them who their God is, that their God is the God of mammon, the God of money. You know, as a pastor, I probably could ask for money. You know, hey, you know, and you start stirring people up, you know, ever making people cry. There's different ways of doing it, trying to manipulate the people. Uh, tons of offerings, midweek, you name it. We'll start passing that basket around a little bit. And, and, and then the Lord just then says, but, but do you trust me? Are you willing to get on your knees and pray that the Lord will provide? I mean, there's different, when we search in our heart, there's, there's so many ways. And I was just trying, Lord, what about me? Like, do I trust in my notes? Do I trust in whatever, the Bible study? Do I trust in my delivery? What, whatever. Do I, is, there, is there other things that I trust in? Lord, and if there is, help me not to. Help us just trust you. Because when you're living life, I think, with that personal relationship, it's that's what it's supposed to be and it, and it's really really cool you see god doing things all the time and he's very personal i'll tell you guys one story real quick yesterday joseph the guy that was doing the av he was doing the filming and the drone and all that it, he's a he's kind of a health guy so he eats healthy he rides his bike and stuff and he kind of takes care of his body and so but for whatever reason this is weird okay don't tell him i told you this or is he here tonight Oh, yeah, he is. Okay. He's going he's gonna to turn off the live stream right now. <laughs> so, but check this out, okay? For whatever reason, he, the Lord put a thought in his mind before the night even began. This is a thought. He said, Lord, if a Snickers bar comes into my path, I'm going to eat it. Now, what a random thought. What a completely random thought. But you know what happened? Shelly and I were all sitting at the table, and Shelly boom, Joseph is sitting there. She comes, she sits down, and then boom, out come four snicker bars. Four snicker bars. And what does Joseph do? He takes it and he grubs. He says, I know that's from God, right? <laughs> and all I'm saying is that God is alive. God is personal. You know, you might think, well, that's just a coincidence. No way. You can't chalk that one up as a coincidence. Not when you're a believer and you know. Little things like that. Big things that will blow your minds. And so we can't, no, not these. Why, why would we turn to things that hold no water? You know, we, we have to stay with, with God. We as a church... Let's not be changed by, you know, starting to serve other gods. Let's actually be changed by, by chastening. Look what it says there again in verse 28. Where are your gods that you have made for yourselves? Let them arise that they can save you in the time of your trouble. For according to the number of your cities are your gods, O Judah. Why will you plead with me? You all have transgressed against me, says the Lord. In vain I have chastened your children. They receive no correction. Your sword has devoured your prophets like a destroying lion. O generation, here's that word again, see, I like it, see the word of the Lord. Have I been a wilderness to Israel or a land of darkness? Absolutely not. 
So why do my people say we are lords and we will come no more to you? Why were they no longer yielding to him as the king of their life? He says in verse 32, Can a virgin forget her ornaments or a bride her attire? Yet my people have forgotten me. There it is. Days without number. Why do you beautify your way to seek love? Therefore, you have also taught the the wicked women your ways. And it's kind of like Jeremiah sarcastically concluding that Judah had become so skilled in the art of pursuing illicit love that even the worst of women could learn new secrets of seduction by observing their perverse ways. And this is a crazy verse 34. Also on your skirts is found the blood of the lives of the poor innocents. I have not found it by secret search, but plainly on all these things. And what that last reference is and, and to me, again, I see it like, how did they get blood on their skirts? What is that all about? Innocent lives dying. What is that all about? And again, it goes back to what happens to a nation when they turn from God and they start taking the lives of their babies. And God says, I didn't even have to search for it. It was flaunted. It was there right in front of it. You guys are proud of what you're doing. That innocent blood. And that's why judgment was headed their way. And that's why judgment is headed our way, you guys. And so in verse 35, they thought, well, we've done nothing wrong. Yet you say, because I'm innocent, surely his anger shall turn from me. Behold, I will plead my case against you because you say I have not sinned. Why do you gad about so much to change your way? Also, you shall be ashamed of Egypt as you were ashamed of Assyria. Indeed, you will go forth from him with your hands on your head. That's the ultimate mourning. For the Lord has rejected your trusted allies and you will not prosper by them. You know, they would suffer the consequences because of number one, they said, well, we're good. We, we haven't done anything wrong. Nothing. After all, you, you're trying to say you haven't done anything wrong. When in all reality, they were trusting in Egypt. They're trusting in allies. They're trusting in things other than God. And so it just brings us back to that, that the focal point in John chapter six, when people started walking away from Jesus uh, the Lord looked at, at, at Peter and he said, how about you? Are, are you guys going to walk away too? And then Peter, he said that those famous words in John chapter 6, uh, he said, where will we go, Lord? Where else can we go? You alone have the words to eternal life. And so I pray we would never go anywhere else. Jesus, he's the only way. And so, Lord, we thank you for your word I, I want to be more focused. I want to lift up clean hands and a pure heart. I don't want to stand here in front of you, Lord, and say, I haven't done anything wrong. I haven't sinned. Because I have. I fall short. I know there's areas of my life that you want to change. And so, Lord, help me to surrender 100% to you. And help your church, Father God. Help us. Encourage them. I pray, Lord, that we would be, use this word, Lord, to to make us committed followers of Jesus Christ. 
with a true and genuine and deep and beautiful love relationship with you.